Friday, I, Thursday, I, I went away for a couple of days to the cabin in the mountain uh, for a little retreat time to spend with Job, struggling with Job, thinking about Job. And I came home last evening, and after dinner, Linda and I, Josh was hanging out with his friends uh, on his PS4 in his room, and um, Linda and I watched a movie together, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Uh, and uh, very early on in the movie, the heroine is sitting with her, at that time, boyfriend, and they're talking, and she says, she has a very deep, ponderous look on her face, pensive, if you will, and says, I feel like I've come out of a long, dark tunnel into the light. And you could tell it was very disorienting. You could tell that she had emerged in a place that was disorienting to her, and getting her footing was hard to do. Now, speaking from personal experience, I know that over my lifetime, a number of times, uh, life has been disorienting. My uh, sense of who I am and where I belong and who God is to me has kept stretching and moving. Two years ago, uh, just this was about a month before my first symposium of the living school, where I would go to Albuquerque. And I, I have to say to you, two years ago, I was deeply afraid. I, I was deeply afraid. I thought, I was rethinking, all, I was reading all the books, I had read all the books by this time, before I went, that I had to read before I went, but I was, I, I was questioning in that moment, did they make a mistake? <laughs> did they make a mistake in letting me in when I applied and they let me in, did, did they make a mistake? And ever since then, for the last two years, um, as we are coming to a close, now the symposium will not happen in person, and it got moved from the end of July until September. Uh, but as it comes to a close, one of the things that I feel like is I've entered into another long, dark tunnel. <laughs> and I am uncertain of where it's... And, and it's not the pandemic. The pandemic was just uh, icing on my uh, dark tunnel cake. Uh, you know, uh, because, because pushing yourself into a deeper spiritual practice can sometimes make you lose your bearings. What you thought to be true and what may be true uh, are not always the same things. And you have to trust somehow that God is in the midst of that walking you through. Now, that's where we find Job this week. Job, uh, I want to set just a, take a step back for just a moment and say a word about the book of Job and its place in the history of Israel uh, and in the books of the Bible. After the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. After the Torah, Job was the first accepted book in what we would call the canon, the Bible. Now, you know, I always had this magical understanding of how the Bible was written. You know, 60, let's, let's say 66 different people got together uh, one Sunday because 
Saturday's the Sabbath. They wouldn't get together on the Saturday. So first day of the week, they got together, and each one of them wrote a book, put it in there. It was, they knew immediately that those 66 books were the ones that were making it in there. They knew this is the one, this is the one God said. It didn't work like that. It didn't work like that. These books were written over a long period of time, and they weren't written initially. They were told as stories over and over and over again until they were written down so no one would forget them. And then only some of them over time began to be accepted as this is what God wants us to know. So the first five books of the Bible, the law by our uh, Hebrew sisters and brothers were accepted. And then Job. And Job was accepted, intriguingly enough, because Job is, uh, is all about being on the cutting edge of what we think is conventional, what we think we know, and what maybe God's trying to show us. Because so often when we're certain we know something, we don't really know it. We do not know who we are. We don't know exactly who God is. We think we do. But as we grow and as we learn, we discover more and more who that God is for us. Now, at the time that Job was written, you need to also understand something. There was no concept that there was a life after this life. It was all this life. If you were good in this life, you were rewarded in this life. And if you were bad in this life, you were punished in this life. And then it was over. And it was done. That was it. There was no concept of a heaven or a hell or eternity or any of those kinds of things, except for God. God was eternal. The heavens would never fail. God would always be there. But we were like a blink in God's eye. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go again. Uh, you know, as quick as the blink of an eye, we're gone. Now, Job pushes the edges of what was believed at his time conventionally. Because, after all, we learned in the first two chapters two weeks ago, go back and watch the message, yeah, we learned two, uh, two weeks ago in the first couple of chapters that conventional wisdom said that Job was righteous and he had all this stuff. And then he lost all the stuff. What would, he do, what would that do to his relationship with God? What would that say? So Job has been having this wonderful visitation with his friends. And uh, some people wouldn't say it was so wonderful. Uh, initially, they sit silently for seven days. The best seven days of Job's life with his friends are spent in silence. And then they start speaking as if they were speaking what Job would have said before calamity came on him. They told him what he knew before everything fell apart. This is the way it goes. This is, you knew this. You used to teach this. You can't change your mind now. You understand you're being punished. You must, be, you must have done something. Come on, wake up. You must have done something. Something wrong. What is it? Well, Job goes back and forth, back and forth, sometimes to his friends, sometimes he appeals to God. What's going on? And in chapter 14, and then answers himself in chapter 19, he, he gets this question in his mind. He gets this kind of statement that seems out of place for a person who has been abandoned by everyone. 
He's been abandoned in his mind by his relatives and his wife, by his friends. He's been abandoned by God, and even more so than God, he feels like he's been abandoned by all the conventions of what he thought were true. Everything that he was sure was true doesn't seem to be so anymore. And so out of that place, though, there's a little glimmer. He's, he's coming, he's in that tunnel, and he wants to catch a glimmer. It's only a glimmer. It doesn't last very long. It's a glimmer. In Job chapter 14, beginning with verse 7, For there is hope in a tree. If it is cut down, then it will sprout again, and its shoots will not cease. Though its roots grow old in the earth and its stump dies in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth branches like a young plant. Ah, but mortals die and are laid low. Humans expire, and where are they? As waters fail from a fail, is it fail? Boy, it is fail. As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so mortals lie down and do not rise again until the heavens are no more. They will not wake. And by the way, there will never be a time when the heavens are no more. So they will never wake. At least that's what Job's response. First, the tree. Sprout, hope, <sighs> but mortals, no way. Oh, that you would hide me in the place of the dead, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and then remember me. If mortals die, will they live again? This is Job's question. Because in his mind, nope. One life, it's over. If mortals die, will they live again? All the days of my service, I would wait until my release should come. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. Job, the work of God's hands. So in this little section, he opens the question for us. Is there hope past this life? What if you hid me in the place of the dead and I did some time there? Whatever it is to do the time in the place of the dead until you want to see the work of your hands again. And what is the work of his hands, of God's hands? Job, until you want to see me again, then I'll be back. Then I'd stand before you. And then Job goes on to say and answer himself to that question, if mortals die, will they live again? In chapter 19, he goes on to say, Oh, that my words were written down. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with iron pen and with lead they were engraved on a rock forever. Okay, this is important stuff. He wants it engraved on a rock forever. Verse 25. And you probably have heard this before if you've listened to any Christian music at any time in your life. For I know that my Redeemer lives. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the last day he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God. 
whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Oh, my heart faints within me. Can we live again? Well, I mean, if I'm reading Job right in chapter 19, it sure seems like he believes he suddenly is coming to this place. He's on the edge of what he's always believed to be true. You get your rewards in this life or your punishment in this life, and it's over. And suddenly there's an edginess to this relationship with God. He's entered into the dark tunnel, into the chaos, into the uncertainty, into the dark night of his soul. And everyone around him has no good answers for him. They've got shoulds and shouldn'ts and can'ts. And if you only go back, if you only did this thing, you'd get it right. It must be God's will. How many times have I heard people say that at the worst possible time to people who don't need to hear it? You can't hear it in those moments. How, how, how am I going to get to the other side? And Job begins to ponder, maybe the other side is not permanent, my death, permanently in the place of the dead. Perhaps it's something more. Perhaps it's something different. Perhaps God has a different way of viewing this. And he pushes the edge. He's the first one. In the, in the order of the history of the writings of the books, in the Hebrew Bible, Job is the first one to question and begin to ask, is there more to life than birth to death? Is there more? There's got to be more. What is it to be remembered by God if not to live? When you and I find ourselves in the time of chaos and struggle. It's a lot like Job. I, I picture it a little bit, although not completely, like swinging on a trapeze. At some point, if, you're, if you've ever seen trapeze artists, you gotta let go of one trapeze uh, bar in order to get to the next one. If you keep holding on to one, you can just go back and forth on the same pendulum but you can never quite get that leap of faith to grab the next rung. As a small child, I was clumsy to say, uh, to put it kindly, uncoordinated might be a, you know, an actual fact to Monkey bars, I just could not do monkey bars to save my soul. There was something magical about, I, I could hold on to the first one and I could rock back and forth and I could put my hand out, but I never wanted to let go of the first one because the second one, I wasn't sure was going to hold me. And I, you can't move forward that way. I feel like sometimes we do the exact same thing. It's like Richard said in, in his reflection this morning. There are two things we can do when life changes. We can hold us tight to the way things used to be, the way we used to see them, the way we hoped they would be originally, because that made sense, our conventional wisdom. Or we can allow ourselves to let go of that and stretch ourselves and trust to God that God will show us a new way. Let me just tell you what. 
If someone had told me in January we would just be having worship and there would be six of us in this room and that it would work, I, I might have laughed at them. I, I might not have laughed at them. I might, I might have thought that they needed a little, you know, medication or something. I don't know. I couldn't have imagined this. And then we got thrown into this kind of chaos where it wasn't safe for us to meet in person. Still isn't. Still isn't. Still working on the details of how we can be back in person. But in the midst of all of that chaos, we, we had to either, we could hold on to what we did before. And some of our sisters and brother churches did that and said, God will protect us. And people got COVID-19 and died. <laughs> um, I'm not sure we should put God to that kind of test, but that's a side issue in a different sermon. When we enter into periods of chaos and struggle, it calls us to rise to our very highest level of trust. To trust that God will be with us even when we can't figure out how. And for someone like Job who didn't wouldn't have considered the possibility of resurrection, perhaps, if it hadn't been for the calamitous life he was living right now, it might push us to see things in a new way. Like Job. Like Job. We want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to have that one monkey bar safely in our hand, and the second monkey bar safe in our hand, and not let go of the first monkey bar. But sometimes that's faith. I don't know what's going to emerge on the far side of this pandemic. There have been pandemics that were worldwide before, and it changed some things. It's, it's interesting, you know, 100 years ago, how it changed the way things were done when the Spanish flu spread around the world and killed millions of people. I don't know what's going to emerge on the far side, but I know that if I am going to trust in God, who invites me to trust even when I cannot see, to walk by faith, not by sight, that somehow I'll get to that far side. It led Job to a place where he could actually ask hard questions of God and of life itself. And of all the things he always were so sure, was so certain were true. How many of us have put God in some box? Because it's manageable. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we put God in a series of boxes. You know... First, there's one box, the nice, neat box when we're little. God will fix anything I need. God's like the divine Santa Claus. I call him up when I need something, and God fixes it. Uh, like I told you last week, uh, I called on God when our mixer broke, and the next thing you know, magically, we had a new mixer. You know, God fixes things. And then maybe we get a little older, and we can't, God doesn't fix things the way we thought God should fix them. We had a plan. Apparently, God had a different plan, and it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. So then we have to rebox God in a new way. 
Perhaps I didn't have enough faith. Perhaps I wasn't strong enough. Perhaps I didn't pray enough. If I had, maybe God would have fixed it. And that doesn't, eventually, maybe that doesn't work for us anymore because no matter how much we pray and no matter how much faith we seem to have, the worst things seem to happen. Job, a completely righteous man, by his own convention, should never have been punished. He should never have lost everything. If anything, he should have gained some more. Would have had some more kids. Would have had another extra couple of wives, whatever. You know, maybe not a couple of extra wives, but more lands, more everything, because he was righteous. I mean, do the righteous ever have problems? Do the unrighteous ever succeed and seem to be happy? I don't know. You're going to have to answer that question for yourself. It sure looks like it when I look at the world. So how do we make sense of it, and where do we find our way? Job finds it by stretching his faith, stretching his hope, and trusting in God. At one point in my Christian life, I was taught that hope is the future tenths of faith. It's the relationship and trusting that the relationship will still be there down the road. And that if God is true to it now, no matter what happens between now and then, which I have no control over, I can still trust that relationship. That's where the hope is. Not that everything will turn out exactly like I expect it to or that I want it to, but that no matter what, God will always be there. That's hope. That's hope. And Job, in spite of everything else, everything else has fallen apart. He thinks God's abandoned him. His conventions abandoned him. Everything that he can see and touch and feel is gone, including his own body. He emphatically says, about this I'm sure, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Can we have trust when things are falling apart? Can you hang in there when one set of conventional ideas that you were sure were true come unglued? If you just work hard enough and you, you know, are faithful to the company you work for, you'll make a decent living and eventually you'll retire and be taken care of. There a generation of retirees who are asking if that's even true. That, that, was, that promise was even true. And there's a generation coming up of people who are going to retire who are asking, is that even true? I mean, the truth is, what can we trust? Or who can we trust? The conventional ideas that we have or the God who's bigger than any idea we could ever put in our mind. God invites us, even in the times of ultimate chaos, to hold on to God and let go of anything that's extraneous. I don't know what will emerge, but I know that my relationship with God will be there on the other side so I can get my footing again until I lose it again. And the cycle goes on. It's hard. 
I don't want to pretend it's anything else. It's hard, but God's in it with you, just as God's in it with me. Don't give up. Don't give up. Trust, practice, lean into the arms of God. Because God, even in the midst of the chaos, is still God. God still loves you in the midst of chaos. God loves you when you miss the mark. God simply loves you and invites you to hope wildly into the future that God will be there.